Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Baby Tula, a global leader in ergonomic and comfortable carriers. Tula's mission is to give parents confidence and support and help them keep doing what they love while being reflective of their own personal style through a range of stunning designs. As an inclusive brand, Tula offers carriers for all ages and stages from birth up to around seven years to empower families of all kinds throughout their unique parenting journeys. Make sure you check them out and choose your favourite design. And welcome to the Mother Rucker podcast. My name is Lizanne and I'm here to chat to you about all things sling every other week. With me today is Sophie Burrows, IBCLC, aka the Boob Lady. Hi, Sophie. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You are so welcome. Um, <laughs> so before we get on to slings and boobs and things, um, Tell us all a bit about yourself. So what does your family look like? So I am married to my husband, Mark. We've been married actually next Friday for 10 years. So that's been, yeah. Ah, congratulations for next Friday. Yeah, we were hoping to do something elaborate, but hey-ho, COVID. <laughs> that's changed. Uh, I've got two boys. I've got um, an older boy who is going to be nine this year. That feels a bit weird to say. Um, and I've got a younger boy who is going to be six this year. So, yeah, lots of men in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. Um, and what did you do before you discovered boobs and being a breastfeeding counsellor? So my early sort of training actually was as a cordon bleu chef. <laughs> so Ooh. I... I have the training of being a chef, which I try not to say too loudly because then people think that I can create all sorts of amazing things. Every now and again, it's become very useful in certain roles that I've done that I did recently cook for over 100 people. So there was that. Um, oh, wow. Then, I know. <laughs> crazy. And then I um, did play work with children. So I moved um, from doing uh, the chefing and I uh, moved house actually back down to Sussex and um, thought, OK, I want to get a job don't want it to be anything too major and did after school play groups with children and things and I was definitely the person who was like off you go up the tree let's saw this in half and all, all the other people who had children at that point were like oh, no careful they break As in the children. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, 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 I would absorb any training that I could do with that um, learning about play and how children um, in, enjoy certain things. And I really enjoyed all of that kind of learning and stuff. Then I had my first son. It was a slap around the face, to be honest, motherhood, mm -hmm. uh, especially birth. Um, and then subsequently, breastfeeding was really hard. And I mm. felt really unsupported in that space until my friend came along and supported me. Um, and she, um, I call her my angel. She came along and she just dropped everything. She's a peer supporter and she just made my baby feed at my breast. Um, it was, yeah, it was life changing really because mm. now I'm sat in this job doing this. So um, it was a major thing that she did for me um, to give that space and time um, with very small amount of um, understanding. You know, she had just the peer support level of understanding of things. So even that is really um 
valuable thing to do. So yeah, that's how I um, started liking breastfeeding. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be really honest. I didn't like breastfeeding my first child very much. I did it for two years, but I really didn't enjoy it fully as a whole process. Um, Then I had my second child um, and uh, then I was a bit more into it, but also I wanted to start helping people. So then I started mm. putting the feelers out of where do I do this? How do I help people? And I managed to find a breastfeeding charity um, called La Leche League. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were amazing. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is how I can get into it. So that's a route that I, I went down. And then I found out about IBCLC and I just didn't look back. I remember standing at the gate to pick up my eldest son from reception reading on my phone the criteria for how to enter the exam I remember it I don't know why it's just a, a in fact I have my Henry on my back in a sling and, <laughs> I, and thinking how do I do this how do I achieve it because it's actually a bit complicated as well so that's mm. that point and then I was like right this is how I do it off I go and with a baby attached to me most of the time I would do studying it was a bit like this actually in terms of being at home sat at a computer and studying for quite a long time and on a helpline at the same time and then I got all the things done to sit the exam which is a lot of work yeah <laughs> and then I did the exam and I'm here now you're the boob lady <laughs> it's amazing it's an amazing job really really yeah oh absolutely just I can imagine how rewarding it is when when you help that dyad achieve the success that they want yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, I imagine it's very similar to that moment that I have when you finally find the right sling yeah. for that parent and child. And, it, and you see there's that moment, there's that moment of relief that washes over their face and they kind of just exhale and close their eyes and they just drink it in. And it's that moment which I live for. Yeah. I imagine yeah. it's probably really similar when you get a baby into a sling when they've tried to use a sling before and it's all gone a bit wrong they've thrown the sling to the side of the room and like don't want to touch it again and then I've been able to get them back into a sling at the sort of the end of a consult and you see them just fill with oxytocin I love that part and it sounds like that's the part that you really enjoy um as well you know you know you've got it at that point and I love having that as a a, a backup in the toolbox for sometimes you kind of actually go into a consult and you can't make everything perfect in that moment. They've got to do some work. And to be able to give them that opportunity to use a sling and have that effect and things is really, really nice. So I, I, I get it. I get that feeling that you get um, with them totally. And um, it's probably, I, yeah, it, to a certain extent, it is the same for me as well, that when I get them in certain positions with their baby, or maybe they get that first pain-free latch, you see that wash over them as well when they're like, oh, actually, I might be able to achieve this thing. Because before that point, it's just so unachievable. And I get it. Mm. So, yeah. And I'm really enjoying now getting the feedback from people who I worked with, um, you know, a a year ago plus. Um, And, you know, even this morning I have feedback from somebody because I had a consult with her again. um, And that was just amazing to be in that space. And then yesterday I'm getting messages from previous clients saying that they're so proud of what they've achieved and, it's really nice to hear now that you know I was able to work with them for like an hour and now and then they got out of that experience you know years of breastfeeding which is I mean I can't do anything more than that if I really tried no of course and it's, <laughs> and it's a massive massive testament um to your skill and the work of IBCLCs in general um so for people who might not know or may not be familiar 
Um, what does IBCLC stand for? IBCLC stands for International Boards Certified Lactation Consultant. So it's a, a global um, certification. Um, it's more recognized in America. There are thousands and thousands of IBCLCs in America. The credential was started in America, but actually it was started from the Leche League. They gave a, uh, a grant of money for them to create this thing because uh, they realized that there, there needed to be a higher qualification to get into the hospitals to be you know, uh, recognized in that sense. And that's something actually that IBCLCs in the UK are working on um, because it will help with all the link up of everything because the skills just make sense in that space. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people's breastfeeding breastfeeding journeys would would be so so different had there been a proper qualified lactation consultant on the ward, and um, just after they've given birth, because it's easy to think you've got it in those first few days, and it's not until further on, if you are suffering with a bad latch, that the pain will begin, yeah. and by that point you're in the throes of newborn life and and suddenly certain things seem unachievable and yeah yeah, yeah whereas and having that well, help from that the start day, yeah you get that day three part where <clears throat> we always talk about that being the baby blues mm. I'm starting to believe a bit more that that is actually probably a oh my god I've also just had I have this baby to look after now it's the realization of that you are the end person. Yeah. You are always going to be the one that gets called at the end of the day. It's like being a manager of a massive corporation. You all, mm. all of a sudden get given this role and you're the, you're the, per, you're the full person at the end. If anything, you know, I always think whenever I'm doing anything with my kids, like, God, I hope this doesn't end up on the front page of a newspaper. <laughs> so it's the kind of like, you know, you do have that responsibility. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. You be judged for what you're doing kind of thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. I've lost what I was saying with it, but <laughs> that's all right. That's fine. Um, okay, so society society has quite a, a warped view of what normal infant feeding looks like in the fourth trimester over those first twelve weeks, and there are hundreds of books about it. Um, all with completely different and conflicting advice and opinions um, on it. Um, and then obviously there are our own families who will have their own opinions about how much a baby should be fed and what a normal baby feeds like. Um, and from my experience um, with Dexter and Trixie, um, and from obviously working with a lot of newborn mothers, um, it, it, what babies actually seem to want and need contradicts a lot of that advice yeah. from the experts and officials and parenting gurus and stuff. So as an IBCLC, what does normal infant feeding behavior look like in those first 12 weeks like is there a normal not really I would probably use the <laughs> word sporadic <clears throat> oh yeah sporadic good word yeah um that it would it's going to be it's intensive it's sporadic and mother, especially even just the whole essence of mothering can be um or parenting can be 
turbulent that's definitely yes. a word that I often use is turbulent that it does feel often when you just think you've got it like you oh I think maybe we're on the right track and then boof it changes which is also a big theme of parenthood is the change aspect mm. but really like actually there is um nice guidelines which is I'm not going to be able to say what nice guidelines are but they are the the general guidelines for the UK I can't say what nice stands for now um acronyms and me don't really go very well all the time sure most other people to be fair um but uh, a feed can last between five minutes or 40 minutes that's actually within their guidelines and also you would expect a baby to feed at least eight to 12 times in 24 hours the problem that we have and have had in the past is that when when we realize that eight to 12 times in 24 hours was you know what what helps you maintain or gain a, a good milk supply is that the mathematicians come along and go well that means every three hours yeah and then, then you start ending up in this three hour thing and then you start going, well, they can't be hungry. They can't be hungry, but a baby will go to a breast for um, every, every little thing. <laughs> you know, you're not actually just filling their stomach. One thing that you are doing is filling their heart when you're mm. doing that. You're giving them that connection of uh, reassurance that you're there and all of that kind of thing. And they, they do that at the breast at that stage. <clears throat> so yeah, it's that's that's kind of how normal breastfeeding would be. They're light sleepers. They're not going to sleep away from you. Actually, when they've been in your womb, all they've known is your womb. All they've mm. known is your breathing and your heart and how your body moves. So the moment you take them away from that and give them somewhere with no edges, then it can be really um, alarming for them and they'll wake up. Yeah, I, I often see parents actually try this <laughs> when I'm with them and I let them get on with it because <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt their parenting and their learning and all that kind of thing. But I often see them that, you know, babies fall asleep within five minutes. They start trying to put them down and I know that that baby's going to wake up. <laughs> yep. Interrupting in, in that experience. But um, it, it's very, you know, when you've seen it a lot of times, it makes sense. But I completely understand when you've never seen it before, it doesn't make much sense. But when you start really thinking about how a baby is connected to you, how they have been connected to you. And that you do actually need to give quite a long period of adjustment in that um, when they have been born, i.e. that fourth trimester, then it starts to make sense how somebody would need to have that space and time to be close to actually understand, but even try and begin to understand the world. I mean, it takes, I'm still trying. Yep, same here, same <laughs> like, here, me too. <laughs> You know, it, it's a, it's a, it's an overwhelming world, you know, and I mean, babies are born thinking they're being born into like cave baby times. They don't expect all the variations of life that we have, nor do they understand having to not do something or having to fast in any way, as in not eating for a period of time. So it's a massive adjustment for them and they are going to want to be close to you. They're going to want to be near you and on you and feed from you pretty frequently. We're carry mammals. Hence why we're both on the same path <laughs> with our thinking, because you encourage carrying and I understand that carrying is what humans do. Um, we, we're not, we don't have a milk composition that would mean that we can cash our baby away. Cashing a baby away is if you have a really high um, protein and fat content in your milk that you would be able to, as a rabbit, you know, if any of us were rabbits, what, listening to this, um, <laughs> that we would be able to feed our baby and keep them in the den and then come out and feed and come back to them. But, and they would typically be quiet in that space and uh, because otherwise they get eaten. But we don't have a milk composition that allows us to do that. Our infants must be with us also because of their brain size when they're born. Mm -hmm. So um, baby rabbits, are they called kits? I can't remember, but baby rabbits would be um, 
they would to a certain extent be able to move away or at least move to a breast very or a teat very easily and things. Yes. But human babies, they can actually find their way to a breast. They're very, very good at it if you put them on a chest, but they do require our assistance for all of their other needs. Yeah. So they do require us to be close by. So in that sense, we're completely different mammals to other you know mammals that can leave their babies with them or babies that follow along <laughs> once they've been born hmm. stumble yeah. along. <laughs> which once you know and you understand that our babies have to be with us all the time that is their norm um and that is their biological driven desire is to always be with us and to be on the breast for more than just nourishment uh, well no because love is nourishment as well yeah, you know, to be on yeah, the breast for more than just food. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it totally, totally makes sense. Yet society as a whole encourages new mothers to leave their babies, to put their babies down. And both of my, both of my two ended up being formula fed, but the formula industry as well. Yeah, which was brought in to replace wet nurses and uh, community feeding, um, like that still happens in a lot of countries um, where communities would feed babies that, you know, if the mother was having difficulties, then someone else would just pick up the baby and pop them on their boob. And that's yeah, the mother what they did. Yeah, exactly. Um, but with the advent of formula, obviously, that all instantly went away because you didn't have to use someone else's milk. And then and then comes the big push that women should go back to work, that they should leave their babies, um, their baby can have formula, they don't need breast milk. They've got formula, which was invented by science. And again, I'm not against formula. Both of my babies were formula fed. It's fine. What I'm against is society's pressure on new mothers um, to leave their babies and to put their babies down because that is not the biological norm for our babies and for us as a species. And, and doctors really became, you know, a long time ago, this is, they were the influencers on, mm. on that. Actually, to begin with as well, they used to, you, you used to go to your doctor to make a specific formula for your baby, which is oh, why wow. it's called formula, because it's a formulation. Uh, that they right. So, yeah, and then the companies got wind of this and started getting involved and sort of saying oh we should have an industry standard for this kind of thing and all of that kind of thing so there's actually if you ever wanted to dive head deep into it it's it's deep uh, there's a there's a huge amount to it and also there's you know seedy ab- advertising from formula companies mm. um, and and sort of influential advertising that they make sure it doesn't go against the guidelines there are actual guidelines especially in the uk everywhere is slightly different yeah there's a who code for uh, breast milk substitutes, but also then each country has its own laws. And in this country, you cannot market uh, infant formula, so that, that first um, stage formula to um, parents, you, you can't market it. It's something you have there. It's not meant to be linked to the toddler ones, etc. but they know that by making the toddler formula, they can advertise it. But yeah. these companies have also at different times tried to say that they are replicating breast milk exactly. Mm. And it's not an alive fluid. It's not a changing fluid. It's the same. And yes, it grows babies. It's very, very useful to help over those really difficult stages. You know, I, I have um, supported mothers using formula. Even today, I was supporting a mother with using formula. So it's not, I'm not anti-formula. It is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. But they have to be uh, held to account for some of their actions with how they've done things and how they've made advertising. We've had massive marketing campaigns that have gone global yeah that have 
um, influence from America and things, and they've pitted mothers against each other mm. and, and all that kind of thing. And it doesn't help. None of that helps. The competition no. that they breed into mothers makes us all unhappy. And I would love to see that gone, to be honest. I think we, you know, we all actually want to support each other, but we've got these other influences coming in that say that we should be thinking about how other people are doing things and judging and stuff. And it's just unfair. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. You're right. And it makes becoming that new parent so much harder when you feel that judgment from society. And especially with my own struggles, as I was struggling with feeding Dexter and the amount of shame and guilt that I felt around that because I wasn't doing it and it wasn't natural and it wasn't easy and I was hating it. And, and because of that shame and guilt, even though I knew that people like you existed and I knew that there were counselors and I knew all of this, I was still way, way, way too ashamed of myself and my inability to do it. And this was the postnatal depression as well kicking my bum twice about this really really common that's it that's why I want to share just so anyone listening knows that I've been there too yeah a huge amount of people will have been in that situation as well and it's so hard and it's absolutely heartbreaking um when it doesn't when your breastfeeding journey doesn't go how you imagined it would and the shame stops you from being able to seek the help that you need yeah. sometimes. And I've, I've spoken with mothers, um, I've done debriefs with mothers prior to their second mm. uh, uh, breastfeeding or hopeful breastfeeding experience. And they've been very honest with me um, in those spaces. And mothers say that they, you know, they hated seeing people breastfeeding because it, but it's almost like slapping around the face, isn't it? You know, mm. they know, they know that those mothers in front of them are not breastfeeding to upset them, but it's this whole difficulty in, guilt and and um grief is a grief at losing something that you wanted to achieve but you couldn't achieve it and most people because women had sort of suggested that we should always blame ourselves we'll blame mm. themselves yeah <laughs> this is probably a patriarchy thing isn't it oh, um, yeah. you know always our fault always something we've done wrong and I, I'll actually a lot of my job is um encouraging women to not see that it was them sometimes mm. it's your baby's mouth isn't working properly and that's why they can't feed effectively sometimes you're eating something that's making your baby's tummy uncomfortable and that's what's causing the problem but it's not that you've done anything bad and even in it that instance that the um, the wonderful things that are happening in that breastfeeding thing despite it maybe giving your baby a tummy ache outweigh the fact that it's giving your baby a tummy ache if that makes sense you know mm-hmm. you're actually providing your baby keeps going back to the breast because they are actually getting comfort there despite the fact it might be making them uncomfortable in some way but so many women blame themselves yet I see so many women ultra researching working out what could be going on they're they're trying all the different positions I sit with women constantly and I can see that they have tried to do all the different things but I even in my actual unfortunately even in my own profession I still hear professionals saying well I just had to sort out the positioning and attachment because she just had it all wrong she was taught it wrong yeah she didn't get it wrong yeah somebody taught it to her wrong somebody showed her right at the beginning this is how you do it and often it's shoving a baby onto a breast and that's not helpful mm. allowing your baby to do the work is probably the best thing you can do just as an fyi there <laughs> but i really dislike this this communication to mothers that they've got it all wrong because mm. they are trying their hardest to keep that baby alive um while also having 
this thing in their head of everyone's judging me and somebody's going to take my baby away. Yeah. I mean, that was a strong thing in my parenting that everyone was looking. And even now people, I feel, you know, they, they would go, Oh, is your parenting all right? For instance, my child tried to use the microwave the other day. It's fine. He's safe. Everything's fine. But I realized that, you know, if something had gone wrong with that, I would get a lot of um, questioning going on. Mm-hmm. But he was trying out his boundaries. <laughs> Very lucky he didn't screw everything up. Yeah. But, we had a conversation with them afterwards. We uh-huh. realized that, well, all right, et cetera, et cetera. So we did all the things we needed to do. But I realized that there's this massive thing within within becoming a parent of, goodness, is somebody going to judge me to take my child away right now? And mm-hmm. that is very intrinsically linked to feeding. And then there's wording used sometimes, which is, your baby's starving. Mm. And that's a really, really big word to ever put near a mother. Because yes. she doesn't want to starve her baby. She is trying mm-hmm. her hardest. So it would never be a word that I would ever use with a parent. I would always say, okay, what can we do here? Because the mother will already know. She yeah. already knows things aren't going in the right direction. So she will, but she needs to understand it all to work out why to do certain things. And then we need to work everything out. So yeah, it, it, wording is really important. I really dislike this um, sort of in, in sort of saying mothers have done stuff wrong because they're just learning. Mm. They're learning beings in the hardest job that they've ever had to think about trying to do ever um, with the biggest amount of responsibility they've ever had. And if they're doing something not quite right, it's not because they decided to do it not quite right. It's because they were shown badly how to do it. And that's where so much of the issue comes from. Again, we've gone full circle that it would be amazing to have an IBCLC in the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To get it right as much as possible from the beginning. And so that I would like to see all. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'd love to see all of the uh, all of the medical professional upskilled into um, normal breastfeeding, normal infant newborn behaviour. What's okay with breastfeeding? That actually, most of the time, you can take different drugs with breastfeeding. Mm. You can have a general anaesthetic with breastfeeding, and you don't have to separate yourself from your baby, you know, for an extended amount of time, etc. It would be really lovely that it wouldn't just be about going, let's get loads of IBCLCs in, but how can we upskill our whole medical? I mean, even down to the receptionists, because you know their little comments can make a big difference oh, to gotcha. how a mother feels in a situation. The whole medical profession needs to be in, on the same page when it comes to breastfeeding mm-hmm. and supporting it and knowing how important it is for everyone, for the whole of society, but also for that mother and that baby. Um, and that would be amazing to see to see all of them upskilled i would i would be fully behind that kind of thing because at the moment it's very institutionalized and you kind of some people have got older practices and not so great practices and and some also come with their own baggage as well when they come to support i'll say with a caveat here though some are amazing because i know that some will come after me by saying all of that (laughs) and go well i'm really really good actually though there is part of that that you should think okay i'm really really good why is no one else can I do something in my profession to bring up the skills of the people around me? Because our data shows that everything's not okay. Mm. The initiation rates of breastfeeding are all right. Most women want to breastfeed. The discharge rates of breastfeeding are painful. And so that is in six days. Yeah. Yeah. The drop off of breastfeeding. And that shows that there's something not going right. Women Mm. are going to the wrong places to get breastfeeding support or they're, perhaps uh they're just not uh being supported or they're getting uh influences from family around them as well but Mm -hmm. i think when the medical profession all come up to the right standard that will start leaching out 
leaching out is that the right terminology but it will into the uh, main um, society and things and that would be a really 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 helpful thing yeah definitely that would be absolutely incredible I don't think we'll see it with this current government but maybe one day who knows I've got years ahead of me <laughs> that's true that's true hey Lizanne 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 Oh, sorry, Jenny. I was totally immersed in this article about baby wearing in the latest issue of Juno magazine. Juno magazine? What's it about? Oh, it's a great magazine, all about a natural approach to family life. They focus on conscious parenting, sustainability, community and well-being. Also, most of their articles are written by real-life families, like this one about two dads sharing their adoption story. Oh, wow. What else is there? An article on postnatal recovery, one on the power of touch, and one called Why I Carry. It's fab, Jenny. They even have a lush seasonal recipes for you to try at home, competitions, and regular columnists, like including The Mindful Dad. Fantastic. Is it new? No, they've actually been supporting parents for 15 years now. 15 years? I know. They're constantly evolving with our rapidly changing times and reflect modern parenting values in the light of new research. Each issue is built around information, inspiration and inclusion. Ooh, that sounds good. It really is. They include supportive features from families sharing their experiences, articles and product reviews to help you make sustainable choices and they aim to make everyone feel welcome in the community. I'm glad you've mentioned sustainability because as a cloth bum mum, I am eco-conscious. Well, you'll be glad to know that Juno magazine is printed on responsibly sourced paper and if you take out a subscription, you get access to their full digital back catalogue. So I can read their full digital back catalogue on my laptop, my tablet and my phone? Yep, and they'll even send you a free gift when you subscribe. Plus, subscription issues are sent with free UK delivery. I'm sold. How do I subscribe? It's so easy. Just pop over to www.junomagazine.com and sign up. Brilliant! The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Integra Baby, a family-run UK business who don't compromise on ethics and sustainability. Integra stands for the future and they believe that with the right choices, we can nurture our babies and our planet. For over a decade, Sarah and her team have worked tirelessly to bring you baby, toddler and preschool carriers of the highest quality. The multi-award winning Integra design is an industry leader and their stunning range of limited edition prints, colours and fabrics such as Harris Tweed make Integra carriers extremely desirable and collectible. With an equally attractive price point and a range of carrying positions available, Integra Baby Carriers are an absolute must for anyone looking to carry their child. Find yours now at integrababy.co.uk. Back to the fourth trimester. Um, how do you feel slings can help during that stage? Well, um, slings are amazing for that stage. Uh, not least a stretchy wrap because you can be skin to skin with your baby in a stretchy wrap and mm. still answer the door uh, to the postman. So although I think postmen do probably have a tally of how many breasts they've seen, if I'm honest. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, a stretchy wrap uh, is, is or anything to be fair, but a stretchy wrap is quite nice in that early stages of meeting the needs of your child for being close to you. You will also start to notice their feeding cues a bit quicker because you'll mm. start realizing when they're starting to stir, which is when you feed rather than at crying. Um, so you start to notice all that. It helps with the oxytocin. So it helps your love hormones and everything. And oxytocin is really key for getting a um, milk flow going. Uh, and it just helps um, with the whole connection.
connection with your baby and, and, and getting to know them and things like that. Um, what else does it do? There was something else that was in my head, but it's just decided to leave my brain at the precise moment I needed it. Um, that's okay. You can feed in things too. That's quite nice. Yes. That was going to be the, <clears throat> yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, so what are your top tips for positioning your child in a sling to feed? Well, I think you might be better at answering this one, if, <laughs> if I'm honest. And most of the time I would I would potentially show a parent quickly how to do it, but then mm -hmm. refer them on to information or probably you at the moment as well, <laughs> um, because it's something that you need to be uh, alert with. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't put your baby on your breast in a sling and then... Um, forget about what you're doing uh you need to make sure that their airways are clear and their head is supported and all of that mumbo jumbo kind of stuff um but you can feed um and you can feed actually you could do it in a laid back position as well but the, you can shift them around in a stretchy wrap and it sort of holds them on quite nicely and stuff yeah yeah but uh yeah should i grab a sling quickly yeah go for it stretchy on okay and I, I always say to people, I know how scary that long bit of fabric looks, but it's yeah. like plaiting your hair. And once you've got it, it just happens. Yeah. Right. So you've chosen the right color. Have I? Oh yes. It matches your branding. That's <laughs> uh, welcome back everyone. Sorry about that quick edit. Um, I just wanted to put on a stretchy wrap quickly. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube, um, you'll be able to see all of this. But for those of you listening, I'm going to be describing um, what we're doing um, as I go. So currently I've got um, my demo doll, my newborn demo doll on in a stretchy wrap um, in uh, an upright position in a pocket wrap cross carry. Um, and you can rest or chest feed in any uh, sling or carrier there is. Uh, the way we do it is very creative, uh, depending on what carry you're doing and also what position you're doing. So I think for simplicity for today, Sophie, if we just look at a cross cradle um, feeding position. Um, so that is a feeding position where the baby's lying across the body um, to feed on the breast uh, or chest on that side. Then we'll just work with that for today. Mm -hmm. So first thing I'm going to do is take down the top layer of the sling and tuck it under my baby's legs. And then I'm going to unpeel the cross passes to reveal my baby's back. Then I'm gonna decide which breast that I'm going to feed from. I'm going to go for my right breast today. So my right hand goes inside the sling all the way up to the ceiling. And then that pops it off my shoulder. I'm just gonna pull it down my side a little bit as well. Throw all of this, my left hand is on my baby, supporting my baby. Then I'm going to bring my baby up to my now uncovered shoulder and I'm going to clear the legs from the other pieces of fabric. I'm going to sit my left hand under the left pass and bring both of baby's legs into that pass. So now both the baby's legs are in the one pass that is left on my shoulder. I'm going to make sure that's tucked into my baby's knees. I'm now going to bring that up to my baby's neck like so and then supporting my baby's head and supporting their knees I'm now going to swing my baby down low onto my tummy 
so that they are positioned in front of my breast, ready so that they can latch on if they need to, like so. So some key safety things to consider whenever we're feeding in slings. Um, firstly, you need to know that it's never 100% hands-free. Um, you, you will always need one hand to support the back of baby's head. And isn't it, it's really important, I believe, Sophie, to support at the, at the nape of the head. So you're not holding baby's actual head and pushing yeah. their head onto the breast. Yeah. Simply supporting the base of the skull. Is that right? Yeah, because they've got a reflex on the back of the head. Actually, all of us have it. Imagine somebody coming up to you and putting a hand on the back of your head, you would tip your head back. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a, horm a hormone, a human, sorry, reflex uh, of protecting the back of your head, uh, especially that nape part. But so supporting in that part is useful for them. Always make sure they've got the head control so they can move their head away if they want to, especially if they get a squirt of milk all of a sudden, it can be a bit alarming for them. So give them <laughs> the space to move away. Yeah, sure. And then the next thing is that their hands should be positioned either side of the breast as well. And their hands should be uncovered. Did you want to talk a bit more about that and why that's important? Well, their hands are part of their GPS system, as I often say, um, and they are part of working out where on earth they are because often their sight is still not 100%. So they're using all the senses that they would be using if they were blind, pretty much. Uh, so the hand is really important. That it helps oxytocin, that it will help uh, your the love hormones and everything because they, if they're touching your skin and your breast and things with their hands it's really helpful also it's it's with the location and stuff and they will use their hands for that and their their nose and mouth and licking and uh tasting and all that kind of thing and then maybe a bit of their eyes but uh mostly it's their hands but it's the same i made a, a really good meme about it which <laughs> i'm singing my own tune here but it, it went very well on its social media basically where it was holding a cup of tea with gloves on uh, you you wouldn't really you know if I handed you a cup of tea with some gloves maybe at the moment you would have the gloves on I don't know but mostly we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't really want to have a hot drink or any drink to be fair with uh, gloves on so it's the same kind of thing allow them to have their hands free so that they can feel mm. and then the next section that I always go to is uh, making sure that the tummy is to mummy. Um, so why is it important for our babies to be feeding with their tummy to mummy? So babies look for full body contact when they are ready to open up their mouth and feed. And that is for feeling secure. So the full body contact gives them all of those points secure. So they've got sort of ankle points. They have knees in between their knees. Those are pressure points, their hips, their uh, front of their chest and their hands and everything all need to be um, touching you if possible because it means that they just have to worry about feeding rather than goodness part of my body feels a bit weird like I might fall somewhere and then they'll be worrying about that and then they can't focus just on the feeding. I see which brings us nicely on to the last point which is especially important when using a sling to feed um, because the sling replaces the hand on the opposite side to where the baby's feeding typically and so the bunch of fabric that I have in the knee here, that is lifting the knees higher than the bum, which means that baby can't slip out of the end of the sling. Um, if baby was instead like that, with the knees lower than the bum, if you can see on YouTube, um, then obviously that would be a risk if I was to then be walking around because baby could slip. Um, so that's why in the sling, we always make sure that the knees are higher than the bum as well, even when feeding. 
And then my last safety point, um, which is a fairly massive one, and I'm sure you agree with Sophie, is we never, ever, ever use fabric to cover the back of a baby's head whilst they are feeding. Um, there are a small amount of um, number, there's a small number of babies who have died in slings from this. So as a sling consultant, never, ever, ever cover your baby's head with fabric whilst they are feeding. Um, breastfeeding covers are completely different. If you want to use one, that's fine. Just make sure you can see your baby's latch at all times, but never use the fabric of a sling or carrier to cover the back of your baby's head whilst they're feeding. And you could also, um, your right side, you could have a, um, oh, your left that's side. My left, sorry. sorry. <laughs> on the side that you're feeding on, I should say. Yeah. You can have uh, like a muslin or a bit of fabric that you could put underneath your bra strap and that could come down to cover that that bit of skin uh, there because it's depending on what kind of top you're wearing really and yeah. how you've got your breast out and things. Some people like that extra bit of cover for their upper chest area. So you can do that or equally your free hand can come along, especially if you've got a baby that's latching off frequently and cut your breast. I always used to think if if uh, when I was breastfeeding around and about uh, and worrying that people might see something that apparently it's all right to have magazines uh, with women holding their breast with just their hands. So if my <laughs> hand you know, needed to do that, then apparently it's fine. So <laughs> go <with> that one. <laughs> Another trick is you can use the, uh, your unused shoulder pass to cover up the top of your chest. So you can bring it over baby's legs and then over their body, supporting their head the whole time. And then you can pop it back on your shoulder if you want. And then you can use that spread over the top part of your chest if you needed to do that to, if you wanted to cover up a bit. It Not depends on what clothing you've got on. Up. No one has to cover up if they don't want to, but if you're in a situation where you're feeling like you would like to cover up, then absolutely, you can absolutely totally do that. If that Sometimes it's if there's a cold breeze coming through that it can fit you, no, that extra <laughs> bit of fabric can be quite nice sometimes yeah just to help cover but yeah cool thank you so that was how to cross cradle feed in a stretchy wrap but of course there are lots of different positions you can achieve in a sling uh, or carrier when you are feeding your baby um and there are hundreds of different slings and carriers out there and there are loads of different ways of achieving um that latch so well my job isn't to help you achieve your latch that's sophie's job my job <laughs> My job is to help you get your baby's mouth in front of your nipple so that the potential for latching is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. and I, I like I the idea of thinking outside the box with it, that's for sure. Yes. Like, sometimes it might be like, actually, to be fair, with the sling kind of side of things, it's learning the basis of the sling. Mm. And then making that work to you and how you might like to feed. So actually, in some instances, feeding in a sling might look different to somebody else's feeding in a sling because of their anatomy and how everything's moved and how it's comfortable. So that's definitely something I've learned along the way is that sometimes somebody will tell me a picture like, look, I'm feeding in a sling. And some people will go, oh, whereas I'm like, OK, the baby's safe. Their airway's clear and they are supported. It's fine. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the that's the important thing. And that's what I really like about the possibilities that sling and carriers offer um especially for larger breasted um ladies like myself um where you you almost need three hands to be able to feed your baby because you need one hand for your baby's bum one hand for your baby's head and then you need your third hand to hold your boob up um and that's where i think 
had my journey have been different with Dexter and Trixie that I, I personally could have really benefited as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So on to our listener question for this week. Um, and this was one that came close from home. Um, it's actually from my husband, Neil. Um, so uh, Neil would like to know, how dads and partners can support the feeding parents, whether they're feeding in a sling or uh, just in general, how can, um, yeah, either a dad or a partner or whoever else is available in the family at the time, uh, can they help the feeding partner? This is a, it's a really, really good question, actually. I, I, to make it easier to describe those kind of people i try to call them key support people mm. they're your key support because actually they can be multiple roles you know and it may not just be one person doing yeah. that role in certain ways for different reasons and things because of uh, sometimes you feel more uh, you it might be that you end up talking to your mum about it kind of thing or you know or for some people that would be completely the wrong person to talk to <laughs> so yeah it's, it's your key support person role and really they we need to see mothers and babies as what is actually medically termed as a dyad. Mm. And that means one that they are, you know, the, there's a baby and a mother and they are one together. They are known as a dyad and it's about protecting that dyad space so that the mother and baby can stay together mm. and that you support them to support each other. So you need to feed the mother, <laughs> feed the parent, the birthing parent and uh, protect her space. Mm. give her space let or, or like i mean love her at the same time i don't mean like leave her somewhere but i mean like <laughs> make lock her in a safe room her. and leave her that's yeah, just fine I've, I've protected her yeah, that's not <laughs> quite what i mean i mean think about you know oh where's her next nest going to be where's she going to sit with that baby and feel and enjoy and be and love that baby you know the sofa okay well you go to the sofa i'm going to make sure she's got nappies i'm going to make sure she's got wipes and water and a snack and a charger for her phone or the controller for the tv i'm going to ask if she needs anything i'm going to ask if you know maybe she hasn't been able to shower today is there something that i can do to facilitate that shower happening faster so she can achieve it and all of that kind of thing and also at the same time it might be that you make a platter of food so that you can share it together so that the mother is getting that adult contact that you know she craves you're both getting something out of that as well um, because that bit can be quite difficult in those early stages that you it's all switched all of a sudden there's this other human there that's that's taking all of that other person mm. and sharing food is often a really um i'm not sure how healthy that is for me so sharing healthy food is really good for um achieving that you know you still get that contact with that other human that is probably the limit of what that mother can give in that moment so it's quite a nice way of doing it and also i mean in terms of um brownie points <laughs> If, if the dads are listening or the partners are listening and want some brownie points, you know, clean and uh, do washing, find out that uh, the, um, what's it called? The, the, the load that uh, usually women carry. The mental the, load. Yeah. Find out what that mental load is. Work out. Is it that, you know, has, is there a load of washing that does actually probably need to be done? Would she usually have changed the bed sheets by now? Should you maybe be doing it? All of those kind of little things think about those think about how can their initiative yeah use your initiative think about all that things that happen without you really having to think about it actually i'm hoping some of you might be going well i do all of that anyway so 
well done to you yeah. if you're doing yeah. those already well done you have achieved the award <laughs> but unfortunately <laughs> some of your you know co-conspirators are not doing it so <laughs> make sure that you are supporting the space for that mother to be with her child to feed her child make sure you're seeking out skilled support for her if she is struggling or if they are struggling and um find people and then talk to her about it or them about it and see if you can uh, have the conversation to say, oh, look, I found this person. Do you think maybe, you know, or I found this group, maybe we can get you in that direction, you know, get, present the information to her, do the, uh, the finding out of that stuff in advance kind of thing, and then present it to her. So she doesn't really have to think very much because she's, she's going to just be, I mean, it's a massive marathon that that, that parent would have gone through to mm. achieve the birth of that baby. And then the trying to feed that baby. And if she's struggling, it's going to be really hard for her to see anything else than what's going on right in front of her. So you need to find that information uh, and present it so that they can then make a nice, you know, okay, maybe I would do this and this. And now I feel like I've got a pathway forwards and all of that kind of thing. Equally, you can um, change nappies. You can always show the nappy to the parent though, <laughs> the other parent, because they're all, you know, I always remember being like, what was the nappy like? Was it all right? Was it, so mm. yeah, always, or take photographs. Many parents have like albums on their phone of that. It's normal. <laughs> in a really <laughs> weird way. It's very normal. Um, and you can bath the baby. Although to be fair, you don't really need to bath the baby for about six weeks because they're not really going off and doing any building work or anything. So they don't get that. <laughs> um, and you can do, you can also be the person that helps to regulate a child who may have got to the crying point of needing to be fed and lost the plot kind of. Um, so, you know, you can be that parent too and see your chest and your skin to skin as their holiday home in a mm. way um, that's quite a nice way of seeing um uh, uh, yeah the, the that was something that you can offer um as maybe that's the space that you know you go oh, i'll go skin to skin i'll you know we'll, we'll use the holiday home for baby while you go and have a shower or a bath or maybe you pop to the shop or something you know because that can seem like a mammoth thing but it can be an amazing and a liberating thing for for somebody who's just had a baby to just pop to the shop quickly and not feel like you're completely tied down um mm. but also you know you can do it in short bursts that would be appropriate for a child that would need to be fed frequently you know sometimes it's about um, resetting your um thoughts and what might be achievable as well but that i mean to be fair that's that's essentially the job of um a key support person is that they need to save the space and support the parent who's you know had the baby to be safe in that environment and feed that baby there was a really lovely instagram post of a dad who's just become uh, and he said that you know 80 percent of the time baby is with mum and 20 percent of the time the baby's with me and i'm there to support those you know that 20 percent of the time and then other than that i am there to support that the 80 percent of the time happens so yeah. that my partner has the baby to feed them and to support that baby through this growth your time comes later as a key support person to make those really amazing bonds and um there's data specifically with dads but i don't know whether it would work for you know all the different forms but uh you the the mother will play differently with the baby than the key support person. And mm. it's a really important differentiation to make. So um, it's very normal and it comes differently. And they will push, uh, push, they will push boundaries with um, a key support person more than they would with the mother. Mm. They will push it differently and the key support per person will push the boundaries as well. It's about learning and, and that's how it works really. So you're, 
time comes later. So don't feel that you're missing out. Feeding is definitely not part of bonding. And if you, if you are, well, I know I said eat together, but um, <laughs> if you're if you're thinking that feeding is is key and intrinsic to bonding with your baby, you might have got it slightly muddled up. Actually, that's not what uh, bonding is about. Actually, bonding is about um, being there, being present and supporting. That's what it's about. So um, I know there's a lot of media about dads, you know, giving a bottle or so that you, you know, get a chance to, you know, feed the baby. Actually, we need to kind of get rid of that mm. thought process slightly because there's a huge amount of pressure on women. There's a lot of extra work. Um, and yeah, sometimes it would be great for parents to do that. That's fine. If you want to do it, I'm not judging you for doing it. It's just it's in the grand scheme of life if you were looking at thousands of women you'd work out that that probably isn't the most helpful thing to suggest that they start doing so um in that sense it's it's really not that helpful to to start expressing and giving bottles and stuff it's that's not what it's about you do need to support the dyad to be and to feed and stuff hopefully that makes mm. sense i'm gonna fill up now i went really down a long one on that one <laughs> no it's okay no it was really interesting no it was great to listen to it was wonderful and <laughs> And a huge part of supporting that dyad um, when it is that 20% um, of time with the key support um, carer is um, if they can use a sling or a carrier that the mother, the feeding parent is using, if they can use the same one, then that will bring the baby even more comfort because it reminds them of the feeding parent. Yeah. And that's where slings and carriers are so 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 amazing in those early days as well is helping that continuation of care and to facilitate bonding again like you said by being there by being close by having that touch um that is how we bond as humans we hug each other as grown-ups um you know that's how we bond um yeah and i i'll just put a caveat in here as well for, for, for the people who, who want to score the brownie points with their partner there has never been anything more uh, alluring to me than my partner holding my baby in a sling. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Why do you think I've got so many pictures of Neil wearing our kids? <laughs> it, it, it touches a certain button. <laughs> it really so. does. It really does. Um, but yeah. <laughs> right. So very last question then. Um, what is your number one top tip for carrying for parents and caregivers? Oh, what a question. Okay. Uh, my number one top tip. Only one. It's like plaiting your hair. Ooh. Once you've learned how to do it, it just happens. And it's not something you have to think about every single time that you do it. Once you've learned it, once you've mastered it, which I don't know how many times it takes as humans to do that. It's not that many, but then it happens. It, then it, 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 it it makes you look like you've got all your s-h-i-t together mm, you can swear it's all right um oh i like that i love that that yeah it's like learning to pack your hair i learned it's to french a bit braid, braid my hair yeah. like a couple of years ago i learned to french braid my hair and i did it with a youtube video in front of me and i was like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this sat in bed like i'm gonna do this my arms were killing me <laughs> yeah now i can do it without really thinking about it it just happens and it's the same sort of thing that applies with slings. It's a muscle memory kind of thing in a way. Definitely. Ah, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast, Sophie. I'm, I'm um, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really, really gracious for you inviting me. Oh, 
You're so welcome. So where can people find you if they want to see more of you and your amazing work and what you do? So as you said at the beginning, I'm affectionately known as the boob lady. <laughs> um, so you can find me with hashtag the boob lady. Um, and I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, as we were saying in a, a minute ago. So uh, <laughs> I am everywhere. So you can find me with that. Um, equally, uh, my website is www.theboobladyibclc.com. Sorry, mm -hmm. it's not even um, it's .com. <laughs> um, and so you can contact me through there. I love having conversations with people about different things. Uh, but most of the time, if you're contacting me for a consultation, if you're contacting me for breastfeeding support, I will divert you straight to my website um, to get you booked in um, because I can't actually start supporting without um, your consent with different things. So I know it seems a bit weird, but that's exactly what I'll do with you. So don't be alarmed if I send you straight to that direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how you contact me. Wonderful. Thank you again, lovely. I do love chatting with you. Um, but me too. Thanks. You've been listening to the Mother Rocker podcast with me, Lizanne Skinner. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Mother Rocker UK and on YouTube. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please email to podcast at motherrucker.co.uk. If you need help with carrying, I'm available for online and in-person consultations five days a week. Please go to www.motherrucker.co.uk for more information. Remember to like, share and subscribe, text your mate, post it on social media, all that jazz. Just get the word out there. Let everyone know about the podcast, please, because I'm really enjoying making it and I want to make more. So, yeah. Once again, thank you very much, Sophie. Thank you. <laughs> and I will speak to you all very soon. Take care. Bye.